some other items. Uh, diaper and bread, item set on the left-hand side. What can we say about item set on the right-hand side? In this example, we know that three together occur on 300 instances, and the two on the left occur in 400 instances. Therefore, confidence is 75%. What does that tell us? Is this good or bad? <coughs> Pretty good. Uh, unsurprising on this example, right? <coughs> Why don't we know? We don't know because we don't know how big the set is. And how much, because we say support count 300, but uh, how many pass, I mean, how many entries are there, or how many passes can there? So how do we deal with this? Support. Sorry? Support. Support is, okay, support count is 300. So you would say that if we knew that the database is altogether, say, 1,000, then we know something better. Okay. <coughs> if data set is 1,000, and out of these uh, 300 bought these three items together, and out of the 400 who bought uh, diaper and bread, 100 did not write yet. Out of 1,000 transactions in the database, so, so that is good or not? Do we know enough about that database? Maybe the 1,000 transactions in the database, maybe 900 bought it there. That's feasible, right? So we need to know something else and have some other more understanding what, what does it mean uh, for some rule to be interesting. There is something missing. <coughs> so we need some statistics or some objective measures. Uh, we may greatly uh, benefit from visualization. Um, we may need all kinds of different tricks. For example, I don't care about beer or diapers. I care about uh, the items of gold <coughs> sold in my shop. Which frequency is probably much less than, uh, I don't know if grocery stores would sell gold items, but I assume they do. 
So, and, and on top of all of this, there may be some uh, extra domain information knowledge, uh, something that we may need to uh, plug in. But today, most of the time, we talk about, uh, about this, what is so-called 2x2 contingency matrix, 2x2 contingency table. So about the database, we know that the size of the database is 3,400 in this case. 400 for diaper and milk. Uh, and out of those, uh, 400, 300 bought here. So the left-hand side, so for this rule, the left-hand side present or not, the right-hand side present or not. And then we can fill in four numbers. The four numbers can be added up. All fiber milk cases divided between there and not there add up to 400. So now the support is 300 out of 3,400, right? 300 out of the full database size uh, is less than 10%. Confidence is 300 out of 400. And intuitively what I try to say is, is that it's not enough to just know one, two, three numbers. The others can tell us a lot if we know what to ask or what to look for. <coughs> so what do we know now more about this particular case, for example. <coughs> well, we know in here <coughs> <coughs> We know that 13 out of 34 buys beer in the, in the shop. It's a bit less than 1 in 3. And in this case, uh, 3 out of 4 buys beer. So 3 out of 4. Indeed, if you look at this rule, uh, looking at other evidence, it seems that we get more people buying beer if they buy diapers and milk in this example. So we can say, as for example, calculate uh, another score, for example, in this case, which is called lift or interest, it's the same as interestingness. <coughs> we can ask how much is, is this ratio this divided by this, larger than this divided by this. In the general store versus for this rule. Um, why is this uh, uh, similar to this one? Actually, we will see in the, it's a probability of this cell of the entire database over probability of, of this in the database 
times probability of this in the database, right? So probability of this and this, if the two events would be independent, we could predict this value. And now we ask, how much is this more than what we could predict on this marginal value? And, and that basically is, is the same as, as in here. Well, how much is this general? Uh, in a way, it's, this is just one example which is, of course, very relevant because we would like to know how much more often the customers that we segment to, to these two groups, the first group customers versus the second group or the entire database, uh, the customer segment in this category, how much more they tend to buy this product. So we could start advertising for that customer segment, right? They don't need to be only about uh, this uh, uh, association group. You can generalize that to any prediction, right? Let's divide customers to two groups and then see how much often some product is there. So we will see that this two by two matrix approach we look at this as, as for association rule in here, but the same kind of approach will be used for machine learning. How good are my predictions? I predict something, <coughs> how, how valuable or good that is. Uh, so we can immediately see that we can we can argue about more ways to look at the how good one or the other rule is. Uh, so by support and confidence that we uh, previously talked about, now we added this list, and indeed almost twice more frequently in this customer segment compared to the entire database, uh, we see that they buy beer, which is very easy. To do. Uh, let's. Everything seems very simple, but I, every time that I look at these things, uh, uh, I. I get almost surprised by how, how complicated or how deep this, this four-number approach can be. Let's look at the uh, example. The immediate thing that this morning I started to look at the example, I, I, I saw that, oh, I need my coffee. So sorry for, for you if you get uh, thirsty for coffee. But this table says, uh, for example, coffee drinking if you have tea. The confidence for, or <coughs> condition probability of uh, drinking coffee if you drink tea is 75%, very high, right? 75% of people who drink coffee, uh, tea drink coffee. There's something is wrong in there. The problem is that immediately you should spot that, in fact, 90% of people drink coffee in this example. And for those who drink tea, only 75%. It's not surprising. It's actually tea drinkers don't like coffee statement. Although the confidence is very high. Uh, so general probability for coffee is, is 
Uh, and now, with this rule, we have 75% confidence. So in fact, if we look at, at those who do not drink tea, among those, uh, the coffee drinking is 93.75. So that is increased compared to general coffee consumption. But for those who drink tea, uh, it's actually reduced. The same approach of the lift. Lift can increase or lower. Yeah. Lift uh, or disinterest can be higher than expected or lower. Twice more frequent, or in this case, probably some, I don't know, 30% uh, less or something like that. Yeah. You can do the, do the ratio, you can do the difference. Uh, there are different ways how you can play with these numbers. Uh, maybe these numbers, knowing the, the marginal probability, well, these two numbers add up to this total number, right? Uh, and we, we can call these as marginal counts or, or, or sums, right? If you know how many, uh, we have 1,000 students, 60% uh, can swim, 70% can ride a bike. 420 uh, know both how to swim and how to bike. So we have probabilities of swimming and biking, 42%, but we knew the marginal probabilities of swimming and biking independently, right? Based on these two probabilities, if the two events are totally independent, then probability of swimming and probability of uh, biking, if they are independent, then we would expect 42% uh, to do both. 60% of the 70% uh, is 42% total, right? If this uh, probability of both S and B equals to the two independent probabilities, then they are independent. If the joint probability is larger, then they are, these events are positively correlated. Among those who bike are most many swimmers, anyway. And it can be also negatively correlated. Um, so, we can test for this statistical independence, uh, sort of multiply the uh, marginal probabilities and then get what, what do we expect from, say, from this value, right? Multiply probability of 20% times 90%, and we can compare how does this number compare to the, these two. Are, are these independent or not? Are they positively correlated or negatively correlated or independent statistically? Uh, and uh, in the probability sense, we can describe these uh, measures, the lift, uh, as how much the conditional probability of y is larger than the expected probability of y. Turns out that this lift equals iterance. So I, I actually, uh, I did actually show the both formulas uh, in Originally, it was usually talked about interest, 
but the least uh, this formula equals to this formula. They are by this by these values. I actually, uh, the conditional probability is defined as the joint probability over the probability of y, right? And vice versa. X given y, y given x. In both cases, you have a joint probability of, in one case over y, in the other case over x. And plugging in here, taking this probability from there, and the joint over y, from here we can know that this joint probability is in fact uh, y given x divide, uh, times x. So you can, in here we can plug in this, right? So we have the conditional probability in here. Basically this simple stuff but gives rise to Bayes formula uh, and, and the way how to go from conditional probability of y given x to from this number we can actually calculate the reverse conditional probability of x given y. But uh, coming back in here, so that the joint probability over x times y is the same as uh, conditional probability over p over y. Because this you can express as joint probability over x. So these two formulas are equal. In here you can see we take the ratio of the joint over the expected probability. Piotrowski Shapiro also proposed to take the joint minus the difference, right? We, we can take the ratio or you can take the difference. Uh, and if you take the difference, you can perhaps also normalize it into something. Right? And these are the uh, marginal probabilities. One minus this is the probability of not x times probability of y times probability of not y. So you can take multiply all the marginal probabilities, take square root. You can actually normalize these values uh, by something else. And that, that intuitively says that we have actually a lot of ways how to think about interesting things. Uh, and depending on the, on the numerical ranges, the sizes of the databases, how frequent or not frequent our rules are, uh, these different uh, measures may have their own merits. Uh, okay, then this just summarizes. You take x and y, you can put them in this x equals y, y equals one, 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 two occurrences. So you can take the uh, database and convert it, count the four cases into the two by two uh, matrix. And then you can calculate all these measures. Um, in our coffee and tea drinking example, the lift of, uh, of the rule from tea for all coffee drinking is actually 0 0.833, which is below, less than 1. Yeah. We actually reduce our prediction about coffee drinking. Uh, now, this lift, 
I said that it's kind of easy to interpret that we have twice more, uh, for example, what was the example that we have suddenly twice more those who buy here, right? Uh, so, so it seems that this is easy to interpret. Uh, let's compare these two tables. Uh, we have 100 elements, 10 are x and y, <coughs> and 90 are not x, not y. Clearly, once you have x, you have y, right? This is like 100% case. But now the lift is from 10% to, you would guess that only one, if the marginal probabilities are 10 and 10, then that you would expect only one, but you have 10, therefore we have 10 times more uh, of y uh, given the x. In here, we see exactly the same pattern, 10 and 90, but now we reverse 90 and 10, Clearly, if you have x, you have y at 100% confidence. But if you look at the lift, our lift is only 1.11 times. So 90% total, and all the 90 are in this cell. So suddenly the lift, from here to there, it seems that we make things better for our prediction of y. But turns out that the lift only increases instead of 10. In here, the benefit is clear, but in here, it's just 11% increase. Right? Somehow, lift breaks down in this simple example. But it doesn't convey all the messages. So in here, the confidence would be 100% in both cases. Right? Uh, so there are more than five cases that one or the other measure actually breaks down and does not solve all our problems. So this table, uh, we sort of can represent these two by two numbers in here, x and y, both are present, one, one, true, true, uh, x and y, only x, not y, not x, and y, not x, and not y. The four numbers f11, f10, 0, 0, these four numbers are the, the two by two matrix. And the marginal probabilities are one in the total. We don't care about the y part. In here it's uh, not x and both cases, so we can add these up. And the total support, of course, these, these two numbers add up to that, and these two numbers add up to um, so from this two by two table, we can calculate the margins, <coughs> and we can calculate all kinds of different goodness measures. <coughs> Support, confidence, lift, gene index, J measure. We can apply chi-square statistics, different types of measures.
for example, odds ratio is uh, we looked at this as this over this compared to this over this, right? But now we look in the odds ratio this over this divided by this over this. And uh, that formula is, if you start reading uh, this formula, then it may look counterintuitive. This times this divided by this times that. But in fact, it's this over this divided by this over that. How much more on this segment, how, how much more frequently we can call this? And in the other segment, uh, well, what is the what are the odds in the other segment, uh, in our segment versus the other segment, the remaining segment, and this is what we call odds ratio. Um, we can <clears throat> call something that is all confidence, and this is... Uh, um, This applies not uh, not for a single rule, but for a uh, for a uh, item set. So item set is something like uh, x is x one, x two, x three, x. Let's make a k element item set. So if this is a, uh, an item set, out of this we can put on the left-hand side, on the right-hand side, any combination, right? And what all confidence says that is, uh, is uh, <coughs> taking uh, support of, uh, of this item set, we, we know that what is the frequency, this is the uh, has some support, how frequently this is in the database, right? And the confidence was uh, of the support of the rule, all the elements, over the support of the left-hand side, right? So, what the what can we put on the left-hand side? Uh, actually, anything could be on the left-hand side. And the, and the largest, you could take the, if this xy is on the left-hand side, uh, predicting x, we, we have to subtract this y. From this set, right? We, if we take just one to the left-hand side and try to predict all the rest, then support is uh, the support of the entire item set. And on the left-hand side, we have just picked one. The all confidence is such that that we try to make this value as large as possible. And that means the most frequent element. Uh, we can pick the most frequent element, and then that means that for all the other subsets of items, 
the fre this frequency will be lower, right? So for all the other uh, rules, the confidence will be lower. No, this is the lowest possible. Sorry, this is the lowest possible confidence. For all the others, it will be higher. So its own confidence basically says that for this rule, all the confidences, whichever way you combine the left hand side and right hand side, they will be higher than uh, this all confidence. So the maximum support of some element from this set, uh, this would make uh, this all confidence the lowest possible. So all the other confidences will be higher. For just looking at the item set, we, we already know what the confidences will be, at least. And, and that also basically means that we, we did not discuss this in the in the case of a priori, but, but now I realize that if you do frequent item set mining, we said that we just make the the above certain threshold, maybe we can also plug in some limitations from which um, okay. Now, that goes in the wrong direction. Confidences can be higher, right? Confidence can't be lower, but maybe we, we know that this rule is going to be uh, good anyway. Uh, so we can have the measure that talks not just about one association rule, but about all the association rules made from this item set. And of course, these, these formulas are actually quite easy can make easy Excel table. I made an Excel table. I was playing around with this, the four numbers, so that you just type in the four numbers. It calculates all the sums. It calculates all the uh, frequencies normalized by the database size. <coughs> you can look what happens to the uh, to the different uh, measures. You can add more formulas. <coughs> That's nothing very complicated. Uh, in the statistics, you could ask about the two variables A and B, are these statistically dependent or not? And for example, you can ask what is so-called chi-square test. <coughs> and this tries to measure um, these are the observed frequencies in here. <coughs> But what do we expect based on the marginal frequencies? Based on the marginal frequencies, we would expect some number in here, right? So we could uh, go over all these four cells and calculate the observed minus the expected, normalized by the expected. So in this case, we would expect, in fact, looking at 35% and 48%, out of the entire database, <coughs> we would expect 106, but we observed 200. And this for every value. So actually, we, you can calculate what is this uh, uh, formula that goes over all the four values in here and calculates this how much how much it differs from what we expect. It can be higher or lower, so taking square uh, gets rid of that problem and normalizing by this uh, expected value. 
And the, if the chi-square will be very large, then you can say that the two variables were not independent. You make the assumption hypothesis that they are independent, and then you reject that hypothesis in the chi-square test. A and B, are they somehow related or not? Uh, okay. Um, the complexities of this kind of two-by-two two approach, it can be deceivingly simple, right? It, it can be deceivingly simple. I, I urge you not to take it too simplistically. Uh, let's look at the paradox. Uh, you can, before you take the drug to the market, you have to test it on the people, right? You company comes up with a drug and then makes the testing, looks at uh, those people who, who get administered the drug. Uh, out of 40, 20, they're recovered, 20 did not. So for 20, uh, this, say, cancer treatment helps them and they survive. 50% recovered. On the drug, on not drug, out of the 40, only 16 recovered. So yes, we have recovery rate which is higher. 50% is higher than 40%. So this drug must be good, right? Right? Depends on the side effects. <laughs> you get to leave. Uh, of course, when you do drug trials, you have to have uh, you to test it on, on people, and we have two kinds of people: male and women. Male and female. So what happens if we look at the two cases independent? Let's look first uh, at men and women. So this is what, what this could be. These two numbers, well, basically these 20 could be 18 and 2, right? So all these four numbers are actually the 8 plus 12 is 20, 21 plus 3 is 24. So this is just division of the table above to two cases, two uh, subcases, based on this confounding factor of being a man or a woman. Uh, so out of 30, 18 recovered. This is 60%. Oh, that's good. Uh, in here, out of 10, two recovered. Uh, for females, only 20%. That's a very sexy, uh, well, sexistic, uh, bad way to present that I should have put males uh, on the lesser survival uh, rate. But you can see the differences of assigning more males on this drug treatment category here, less on the drug treatment category, so they are not evenly distributed. But what happens in here is that. 60% for males, while without the drug, it would be 70%. So on the drug, you have less chance. What happens with the women? 
they have even poorer outcome. But without the drug, it would have better. So in here, we sort of increased our chances. But in here, it seems that we decreased and we decreased. In both cases, things got worse. While in here, it seems that things got better. So this is kind of paradox, uh, part of the paradox in here, right? Uh, and, and this is to do with the fact that we don't know many other factors on, on, on the background. This is male and female, but we could as well get smokers and no smokers. And God knows how many other uh, confounding factors. Uh, so it's, uh, well, this kind of proves that there is statistics and statistics. That statistics can be sometimes misleading if you don't do it properly. And uh, that's why it's, it would be hugely beneficial for computer scientists, software engineers, actually take the statistics classes, probability theory classes, as much as possible. Because this is very general kind of skill in the life. Being able to analyze things. Uh, okay, but I, I sort of jumped over uh, from this. Yeah. I said that we can give these cells names, which are kind of self explanatory, kind of. And uh, the ways how we can calculate different scores are pretty. Uh, this is an example of symmetric objective measures for the item set from A follows B. And, uh, and uh, symmetric in the sense that uh, I should have uh, that we could, in the table, we could, in the two by two table, we could reverse the diagonal. On, along well, there, was, there, there is a main diagonal from your point of view, and we could, we could make the break the symmetry. <coughs> uh, if, we, if we make a symmetry, uh, does the objective measure stay the same or not? Uh, so these items, for, the, for these measures, they stay the same. Usually, this F11 was A and B, right? So that frequency uh, is probably in all of the formula. Uh, these are asymmetric, uh, means that from x was y, x, not y, not x, y. I think these. Uh, A to B, B to A. Uh, yes, well, this one you could see it as, as from A, from X, you predict Y, or not Y. But you could do also from Y, you predict X, or not X. So you can, you can already, which one is on the left hand or the right hand side, when you reverse, then you get a 
symmetric version, right? So some rules are uh, tolerant to that symmetry and some are not. Uh, so different measures, well, th these are expressed in the, in the terms of these F frequency numbers, right? Uh, frequency of one and anything, well, x, uh, not y, and or y both together. But this uh, table shows a lot of the same measures, but they are expressed in the terms of probabilities. The probabilities are based on the frequency to the total database side. So the condition probabilities are, are joint probabilities. Probability of A and B, uh, etc. So there are uh, different measures proposed uh, for a good reason because some of them may uh, break down in some cases. Uh, you may want to have observed certain types of features. Um, some are useful for some applications, not for the others. Uh, so the question is how to choose from all of these. And how does the, if we say that we want to look at only at the frequent item sets, we set the minimum support in advance in the frequent item set mining. We say that we only look at relatively frequent item sets, right? Then how does that affect any of these different scores? They can have different scales and, and effects on the on the low frequency or higher frequency ranges. So that's why um, you can actually um, analyze. Well, it would be useful to analyze these different types of two by two matrices and see how the different measures behave uh, for them. Of course, you could uh, somehow say that the good measure should have some properties, and different authors are proposing slightly different uh, extra set. But you could say something like that. Out of this one, Tedeschi, uh, Shapiro, they propose that measure should be zero if the two are statistically independent. Sounds good. If they are independent, then zero. When joint probability increases, then the measure should increase as well when we don't change the marginal probabilities, right? So the joint probabilities is A and B together, so that should increase. But, but, but when this increases, our measure should increase. It doesn't say, is it linearly in the same space? Is it uh, uh, scaled somehow uh, or not? And increasing or, or decreasing monotonically um, for the symmetric. Uh, the slides I have been using before from the from the book and from the associated uh, slide deck, but actually this article uh, does most of this analysis that we are going to look uh, at now. So you can take different examples, uh, make the uh, two by two matrices, which is the task for the was it for this week and next week. So these add up to uh, 10,000 in here. Different ways how you can uh, assign the numbers. 
And then you can apply, for these 10 examples, you can apply a bunch of different uh, measures, right? And see, out of all these 10 cases, uh, for this measure, the best one was this E7. For this measure, E1 was top ranking. So you can, you can rank uh, by different measures. You don't need to go scale exactly to the, by the measure, but you just assign the rank from 1 to 10. And in here you can see that E10 example, E10, only 61 is from A, from X to Y is only 61. Uh, that is relatively small, and it seems that most of the measures keep this 10, E10 uh, on the 10th place, but this, this one puts in the first place. And this one puts on the fifth place. Uh, what is, is this interest? Is this, yeah, I think this is probably how much more we predict this value compared to, to the general database. Most of the cases we have x follows y, not x follows y. Y is only 65 cases out of the database, and 61 of them are in the F11, therefore the interest or lift is very high. Therefore that uh, lift or interestingness has been ranked the highest for this last case. So for these randomly generated cases, well, handmade or randomly generated cases, you can calculate by different scores what are the scoring score values, and you could look at what is the best ranking, what is the um, worst ranking. Example one is ranked very high in many cases, but not always the first. Right? Uh, but there can be there can be differences. Uh, yes, yeah, so variable permutation is this uh, is this uh, symmetry, okay, the symmetry A and B, which has replaced the B and A. Uh, B and S remain the same because it's both together and or neither of them and we just uh, break the symmetry by replacing this R and Q. So, for the measure, does it say the same or not? And these ones do preserve this, and these ones don't. So this is uh, one property that maybe is desirable, maybe not. Maybe it's a desirable property, but it's one of the properties of the uh, goodness measure. Another property could be when you have a small table, males and females, what happens when we just multiply all the values by 10? Or what happens if we uh, now multiply unevenly that we multiply males uh, by 2 and females by 10? Nothing just from 3 and 4, we go to 30 and 40. In a way, nothing changes, just grab more males grab more females, but they are un uneven. 
So what happens if if uh, if these relative um, frequencies change? Um, what happens if we inverse the database? So A B if we replace uh, all the A's by not A, if, if you go from here, uh, not one zero 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 one, but zero one 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 zero, right? We can do the inversion of that shopping basket, not the element, right? We can uh, inverse both, not A, not B uh, items, or you can apply this for only one or the, not the other, right? In a way, we don't do much. We just complement the items. But what will happen to the to the scoring measures? Um, well, this, uh, this was this uh, predicted minus, no, sorry, the observed minus the predicted 70%, 70%. So what is the difference? And normalized. Uh, so in this case, what happens? 60, 20, 20, 60. Uh, yes, for this, uh, for this example, this measure, for example, remains the same. It doesn't care about this uh, change. 60, 20, 20. Uh, Null addition seems to be very important because we have A, B, not B, not A, but what about this S? If we suddenly start making the database larger by having totally different items, then S plus K, what happens when we, when we just add to the case that does not have A, not B, just something else? You, you load the database with the new things that have nothing to do with the original A and B that you were interested in. Then, does this affect uh, support, cosine, checkout, they remain, how is this invariant? Support gets lower, but the relative, well, at least you can compare the rules by the same support. Um, I think confidence should be I, I can't uh, justify immediately this. But you can, again, look at this property. Let's add something in this cell. What happens, happens to the measure? So in here, these measures change based on the adding k to one cell. So we, you, can, you can list uh, the, these different properties, property one, two, three, uh, some other of, uh, objectives, well, does it achieve or not, some objectives, you can list lots of different properties and say yes or no, yes or no, uh, for these different uh, measures. And different measures have also different ranges. So you can see the, the probabilities should be between zero and one, correlations are from negative correlation to perfect positive correlation, so from minus one, zero to one, uh, something can be between ranges zero and one. In here, from zero to one, and one to infinity, 
So Oz ratio can be also infinity when you divide by zero. Lebesgue um, Shapiro is between minus 0 0.25 to zero to plus 0 0.25. So you can see the different uh, measures can have different uh, ranges and different properties. Uh, I can't observe immediately the ready two that have exactly the same properties. They are not listed right next to each other. So I'm, I'm not quite sure that uh, whether this could be the case or not. So uh, picking the interestingness measure can be tricky. You have to think what properties you would like to, to uh, for the measure to be resilient, right? What properties uh, you should want to preserve in the data? In this way, it's very hard to kind of, I guess, for you to select something, and, and, and there is probably no single silver bullet either. Therefore, you can also do this experiment, which I uh, asked you to do in the homework, generating these random contingency tables, uh, calculating different uh, scores, and comparing these scores. If you just look at the correlations uh, for the score, then it's uh, the normal uh, distribution. Most of the tables will have zero correlation, uh, making the histogram of different frequency ranges uh, visualizing these uh, uh, scores, so you can look at what it, how the, for example, how the correlation does it behave like that. Now, this is for all the uh, tables generated. But what happens if we start increasing the support? We are only looking at the at the rules that have a high support, high F one one value. Uh, if we set support to quite low, 1%, uh, already then we eliminate some of the tables that have actually negative correlation values. By increasing the support, we are getting rid of some of the tables that tend to have negative correlation values. Therefore, we will be enriched by the more positive values anyway. So already increasing the support threshold of the rule this is what is left out, therefore, from this crashed. So if we increase the support, then we get rid of some of these values. So we will be, by necessity, enriched by the values that are on the positive side of the correlation. 
so we can investigate how, for example, the support-based pruning would affect also other measures. And uh, in this paper that I, I just mentioned before, uh, so they generated the contingency tables, ranking all the tables, and computed uh, compute all the different uh, type of correlations. So these are the measures comparing to the same measure, right? How the two measures, like this measure and this measure, if one calculates this value correlation, then the Jacquard index, Jacquard uh, value, how does this behave? So you can see that yes, there is correlation. You get positive correlation, your Jacquard index goes up, right? They are not exactly the same. There is a lot of scatter. Uh, so from this red and white area, actually you can see that the correlation between this and this measure, correlation between the, uh, the two variables, or two variables correlated correlation and the part, is below 0.85%. So that's wide area, right? But there is still some correlation. So the threshold in here for red and white areas is uh, 85, uh, 0.85. Probably could highlight every every intersection compared correlation to uh, 18, well, it must be this one. Comparing these two values, you can get some correlation value in here. Right? What is the correlation between the two scores? You could do this painting in, uh, in different measures. In here, it has been strict cutoff 0.85, and we have the uh, correlating measures these measures correlate with each other, and these measures correlate with each other. One particular correlation means that you can compare one measure to the other. So this is for all pairs of measures for all tables generated. If you make 10,000 tables, you have 10,000 here. Two measures, one and the other. But if we now reject some of the low support uh, tables, then actually what happens is that more measures will be highly correlated to each other. In this case, uh, what happens to the correlation as regards, now there is of course less dots because we have pruned the low frequency ones but somehow the cor correlation between the two has become stronger. But the other moral is that once one is very high, also the other is very high. So you will, you can use one or the other method as long as you to stick to quite high values. In here, if your correlation is point over 0.4, then your Jacquard index will be also over 0.2.3. So there is a lot of calculations to, to get the correlation between the two measures uh, in this range, but basically in this visualization. Uh, for this, this one is support range from 0.5% to 
not the most frequent ones and not the uh, least frequent ones. Frequent ones. If the upper, well, 0.5 to 50 percent, but this is bounded by 30 percent from above. Not the most frequent ones. And suddenly, most of the most of the measures are quite well correlated to each other. Right? And uh, even less even less tables fall in this range. So you have fewer dots in here, and you can still calculate the correlation between these two measures. So now, 76% of this matrix has correlation over 0.85. So in a way, that all the measures try to capture similar things, but they may do it slightly differently. Uh, So these are all kind of uh, objective measures that you can apply and ask uh, for the most interesting patterns uh, from your mining result. So you can take one of these objective measures and just output the patterns based on the statistic that you have just selected. The top ranking ones usually are the similar, uh, the same items are detected by these different measures. So that is the kind of statistical objective way, but you could also start thinking about the domain knowledge or sub your subjective measures. Uh, you could say that you could uh, ask for some interpretation of the patterns. I say that you only show some patterns as interesting if it contradicts expectations of the users. How to, how to know in advance what would you expect? Uh, I would expect that alcohol and children's products are nothing to do with each other. And suddenly they are. So that would be somehow uh, counterintuitive, uh, counter right? Uh, in Tallinn, they are discussing whether to sell alcohol on the Sundays or not, and the silver PR man told that, oh, it doesn't uh, matter so much. On Sunday, we sell so much less alcohol than Friday and Saturday. So they know that. Right? Maybe, maybe if you can say that, oh, but on Sunday, they, they they do something, uh, maybe you discover some cool pattern for Sunday alcohol consumption that is different from the other week. Right? Maybe they only buy champagne, for example. So what is this uh, user expectations or human knowledge, prior knowledge, domain knowledge? Or the other is, I care about these patterns that I can do about something. Maybe about trying to find me these patterns which I can act upon. I don't care about all the funny, co <coughs> funny random correlations. I care about something that I can really do something about. And again, how would you express such expectations to your uh, 
a program code. Give me all of these patterns that I can act upon. How do you express that statement? Uh, so in a, in a way, this almost calls for something there, for the approach that you have, uh, you take the data, you generate a lot of patterns, and then you probably need to have some kind of interactive tool where the user can approach to that pattern base somehow dynamically. Like, okay, let's look at the data at this, from this point of view, from that point of view. What if I care about that? Are there any rules that talk about the, about the whipped cream, uh, low fat, high fat? Uh, if somebody buys low fat, I don't know, low fat milk, what are the products associated with that? Or high fat milk? Then maybe you just generate huge set of uh, rules in advance with all kinds of measures and then allow somebody to just explore it from different points of view. Uh, but this calls for somehow modeling these expectations of users or some kind of domain knowledge. Uh, domain knowledge is something that experts know. They don't know all this how to formalize it, but they know it in their head. They, right? And then you have evidence. So domain knowledge knew that which things should be evident, uh, which patterns should be frequent, and evidence proves that it is, right? Uh, are bound to be frequent in here. Um, expected to be frequent, but in fact it was unfrequent, right? So you can think about, compare what the domain expert would think about frequency, not frequency, and what evidence will tell for which types of things uh, the outcome corresponds to the prior expectations and for which cases it does not. Uh, so maybe the user should be presented with a, with a confirming evidence, with a rejecting evidence, uh, saying that please have a look at this, it actually turns out to be frequent, or vice versa. You, you are thinking this way, but in fact this is not true. Uh, and to present all of this information to the user, um, you can imagine somehow that uh, you would need lots, lots of uh, visualization power or sort of how to convey these messages to the users. <coughs> so you have been playing a little bit uh, with the R, looking at the, inspecting the rules, and you can think is that the best way to show the rule? Yes, you can probably uh, look at the individual rules and see something in there. Uh, there are some of these uh, graphical visualization patterns, but uh, uh, I would guess that uh, they are not sufficient uh, to show to some CEOs in the, in the executive board meetings. So uh, this sort of uh, 
wraps up the discussion that we have now about this uh, uh, association mining, frequent association rule mining. But let me try to somehow walk you through uh, this area. First, we started kind of conceptual, uh, conceptualizing the problem. Uh, we formulated the problem as, as, uh, as the item set mining, finding frequent item sets. Then we introduced the lattices, that this allows us to combinatorially address the problem of generating all the frequent item sets or uh, association rules. So lattice theory, uh, different bounds of item set enumeration. So what is the theoretical formulation of the problem? Then what types of patterns can we try to identify? The frequent item set, item sets, closed ones, maximum ones. If we look data through the time, maybe we can observe emerging patterns. We talked only about static database finding something from here, right? But you can have data from one month to the next month to the next month. Maybe something will emerge. You can do mining in one to the next and see what has been become different. Maybe some, something is shooting up. Uh, oh, hyperclick patterns. Hyperclicks are everything is related to each other, sort of like, like in the graph, it's a click. Uh, support envelopes, uh, different kind of combinatorial ways how to look at items. Rules, uh, what happens to the negative rules? We have only talked about the positive associations. What about the negative negations? Dependencies between the, uh, between the uh, items. Can we identify causal rules? We only observed something that is correlated, somehow statistically correlated. This can be random correlation. But can, can we say something that this causes that? It's, it's not easy from the data to say beyond the correlation. Is one the cause of the other? Does the fact that people buy umbrellas cause rain to become out, or vice versa? They're correlated. How, how, how do you prove which one causes the other? Uh, spatial and co-location pattern, well basically you can start thinking about the space, uh, time, randomness or fuzziness in the rules, uh, exceptions, there are rules and there are exceptions to the rules, and there are exceptions to the exceptions. You can start building kind of rule hierarchies. This rule applies except when this applies. All birds can fly except if they are penguins. Except if BBC shoots a video of, shoot, uh, of flying penguins. Have you seen that video? Sorry? Yes. Flying yes. penguins, BBC. So we looked at item sets, but you could think of other kind of substructures sub like subtrees, subgraphs. Uh, 
maybe I have somewhere in this slide. Um, there are the okay. So conceptual issues, uh, types of patterns, uh, theory behind those data types, binary data, numeric data. Like numeric, you looked at some of the data attribute equals to some number. How to deal with the uh, numerical ranges? Can you classify uh, all the people or well, all, all the data? Or if you have just total point number, maybe you need to some, somehow group them. How to deal with the numerical values in the rules? <coughs> or nominal, ordinal, mixed data types. Then when you start implementing. Of course, you will care about the database, how to optimize database, how to support these kinds of rules on the SQL, on top of the SQL, or on top of the online analytical processing tools, on the data uh, warehouses. What happens when you have multiple databases, how to deal with these all kinds of rule generation. So all kinds of implementation issues related to that. Uh, pattern discovery, you run in serial or parallel. Uh, Actually, you can also think of the data as, as uh, sets or, or time dependent, and then the serial or parallel will be about the patterns. Are, is this a sequence of some events, or is this something that can be happening on parallel? Do you do batch processing? You just let overnight something to work, or, or you have the static snapshot and then you just process with that, or online in the terms that Data keeps coming in all the time. Next day, we have increment by one day. How to update all the previous knowledge without recalculating everything for the last 10 years? Algorithms. We fetched a priori and FP3 uh, algorithms. But you can have uh, different different other uh, algorithms trying to achieve a similar thing uh, with the different uh, data structures, different, uh, uh, different speed, different uh, uh, properties. Of course, when your data grows very large, you can make it, uh, calculations much faster by sampling. But then sampling has to be made correct. Uh, sampling means that you just fetch the smaller subset of the data, try to work on that faster, and then make some conclusions, but then you have to maybe verify the large statement. Then, when you deal with the real data, you will have also real other constraints, like taxonomies of items. Items are not totally independent. You don't even know whether the store keeps bread as a single, value or, or keeps it uh, um, by different brands, right? different, different types of bread. Is there some large item set, uh, item taxonomies? The bread products, milk products, uh, how the taxonomy is organized? Is it by the type of the product? Is it by brand? Some people buy, well, you can have huge Huge brands that do both milk and bread products and many things. Are people loyal to the brand or not? In, in the 
in this category I buy from this brand, from that category I buy from some other brand. So the item taxonomy is definitely um, quite a complicated issue. Uh, templates. Uh, I was kind of hinting that once you have the rules, maybe you want to observe or look at those by some templates. I only want to fetch the rules that follow this and this property. On the left-hand side, on the right-hand side, follow these properties and give me those rules. We, I just mentioned only in the lecture that, that items may have multi different support levels, right? So you can't put the same support for everybody, right? For every possible item. But that kind of a, a simple request can mean a lot of problems on the different aspects of the, of the algorithms and tools. For somebody in the PR or sales department, for them it seems simple. But oh, what's the problem? I want, I want to look at my, uh, my, my milk products, 10% threshold, and, and fish products at 1% threshold. How complicated can that be? But you are the guys who need to implement maybe this, uh, in these programs, or at least select the tools that support these kinds of properties. Post-processing of the patterns by a different visualization means, by a different interestingness uh, scores that we sort of talked about today. Interestingness measures could be objective, some statistics behind that, or subjective that are related to some other prior knowledge or prior um, know-how of people. Then. Once you have your measures, then you can sort of filter out respect to one or, or rank the outcomes, and somehow you need to summarize how many patterns, what types of patterns. You need to do this type of things. And then we move to from conceptual to implementation to applications, the domain knowledge, maybe in the web analytics or text mining, or earth sciences, or biomechanics, maybe you use variants of the, or subset of these methods. So different domains may, have, may call for slightly different aspects of the, of the mining approaches. And then, of course, you will have other applications. We will later in the course start talking about the classification, regression analysis, clustering, recommender systems. Uh, recommender systems help you, uh, or when you go online to some online shop, they start recommending you stuff, right? But think for a while about Amazon, for example. If you run a big shop like Amazon, you have huge databases, lots of data, and all that you apply in here, oh, let's set the minimum threshold, and let's look at the rules that are above the threshold, right? And then you only will recommend, I don't know, 50 shades of gray. Everybody buy it. The most frequent items, that's all. 
for the online shops like Amazon. Yes, it's good to sell um, the very few stuff that everybody buys. But the business is actually also on the very long tail of very exotic items. I, I don't know. Anybody there to tell their most exotic hobby? I don't know. Maybe numismatic books about 15th century. Anybody cares? But if somebody does, I bet they buy every possible book on that topic. The, the, treasure, the support is as minimal as possible, but for them it matters. And for Amazon and likes, in this very long tail of, of very few transactions, there is a lot of business. Because it's just computer that can do the uh, prediction, right? It costs nothing from the shop, but it, the, the long tail actually generates fat business. Not only the most common stuff. If you have only the most common stuff, you'll only sell maybe 100 products. But you can't make the predictions what will be the 100 products to sell, right? So it's not only about the volume in the most frequent cases, but it's also about the volume in this long tail of products. And that's something that actually the recommender systems can achieve. Uh, so, as you can see, we, we started from one topic, scratched the surface from here and there, but with this knowledge, you can start the plan. If you, if you start tackling some real live data, you can start at least thinking, okay, I need to start making decisions about this and this and this aspect, and uh, maybe I can come up with ideas uh, how, to, uh, how to visualize in my domain. Yeah? So, uh, data mining is a process where you start from the, from the original data and you start applying different techniques. And you can't say that there is just one trick. You all learn the same trick and off you go you will do the same, you will use all the same hammer wherever you work in the later life. No, that, that is not going to work like that. Uh, so later you will be able to, at least, you must be able to pick uh, different tools or aspects of, of, the, of these kinds of uh, hammers. Okay, I think this, uh, of course Google is your friend, you can uh, find a lot of uh, additional material. Um, Sometimes it's very hard to get uh, very systematic reports. A lot of the information is in the, in the articles. That's why some, of course, the textbooks are better because at least they try to summarize uh, important things. But then they are maybe also just scratching the surface on the, on the topics. Uh, okay, any, any questions? these Kozma rules, were they between transactions or between uh, rules? Because, for example, you say that uh, on the previous day a person bought uh, a certain item, 
and the siphon broke, and on the next day he had, he had to buy a new one. <laughs> do you do that? Um, I would return the item and buy something else. If it's very cheap, then there, there would be no point in just have the land, and maybe yeah, yeah. the store will not return it again. So, <coughs> so actually, what um, so what you somehow said is that uh, there is time involved. Day one, day two, and try to find something that maps from one day to the other, right? Well, not actually. Okay, yes. So, so, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you one generalization of these association rules, uh, which is supplied on the on the on the on the data like this on the time. Um, when you have the telecom business or bank with the many branches and many ATMs, many items in the network, telecom, you have lots of switches, lots of different routers, whatever complex stuff you have, right? And and all of these are logging some events. And you better collect all the logs from all the branches of your bank to one location to detect some anomalies, right? Somebody tries to break into all your bank accounts at the same time, or fetch money at the same time. Right? You somehow need to uh, uh, log everything. And then you start saying that that uh, event A has happened, and A has happened again, and B, and, and next time, and then C will happen, next time we have A, B, and See again. So this almost calls for. Let's try to locate if frequently are patterns that, for example, in this case, A, B follows C, right? A and B, and within some time frame, you have C, right? That means that once the these three items break down. There will be major collapse of the system, for example. That would be very interesting to know online, right? That once we observe the dangerous pattern, at least we can do something about that or predict something. But now there is a single, and then there are these and E's and all the other crap, all kinds of things in the time series. And it's not transaction, it's not, you don't know what comes together. It's just order by time. Now take all what we have discussed about the transaction, having multiple items. So what, what this uh, tries to do is that, let's look at the, some time window. One time window, overlapping time window. At some time window, and then we have suddenly transactions, right? This time window, we can list all the events that have happened in this time window. And then, we, then maybe you can say that in the window of 100 seconds, if A, B happens within 100 seconds from each other, 
and see if it'll happen within 20 seconds or whatever, vice versa. So, so the, the events that go with the time, sequential events, in a way, you take a similar kind of approaches, but you generalize it. You, you think at that at that a slightly different point of view. You try to generate the item sets, and then the order may be important. In our shopping basket, it doesn't matter which order I put them on the belt, right? Maybe, maybe it does. I have I tend to have certain order when I how I put things on the item on the belt actually. I don't know how many have some intuitive order. How many have the order? Yeah. So maybe we can discover these orders. Okay. So uh, you can chop up the, up the data to, to some time windows, independent uh, transactions, and try to still find frequent, uh, frequent occurring things within some time frame. In here, from the time perspective, you could say that first these happen and then this happens. So this is the cause for the event to come. Maybe it's just coincidence by some other me indirect measure. Uh, some fault first triggers this and then triggers that. And you don't know. This does not cause this, but there is some other fault that causes first this to happen and then that to happen. Still the causality is a complex question you tend to observe the correlations in the data. But what causes the other? Uh, the thinking, I think, goes in the way that what if uh, data is generated by this model or maybe some other hypothetical model, and then you can compare perhaps these models and say that, yes, this is more probable. That is one way. Okay, but I think now we have exceeded exactly the, the lecture time and uh, we will see next week. Thank you.